Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? God, those are really familiar words to a lot of us and um, words that um, we find hard to to live out in full. Um, And and so this morning, God, would you open our eyes to to see you for who you truly are through your word. Um, Encourage our hearts, God, where we need to be encouraged to be a part of uh, your mission to make and raise up disciples of all nations. And so, Father, speak to us through your word. We pray you'd speak to and through Kevin this morning. Uh, Make us into the people that you have called and created us to be. We love you and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome once again. Good morning. Um, Maybe you heard those words that were just read, and you have some idea of what they mean. Maybe they're familiar to you. Go and make disciples, but you think your response is, how would I ever have time for that? Right? You're taking 16 hours at Mizzou. You're working a part-time job. You work full-time at the hospital. You're trying to think about your, your newborn over your breaks. You've got chores to do around the house. You can't ever seem to get to the gym You feel like you can't keep up. You barely have time to breathe and do important things like sleep. And you think, make disciples like when, Jesus? Or you might think this, even if I did have time, I wouldn't know where to start. Talk to to people about Jesus and and be laughed out of the room. Yeah? Um, I barely feel like a Christian myself most days of the week. I don't know how to start even with answering their questions. Go and make disciples. Would I like to? Yes. Am I able to? Probably not. Well, as Jeff said, here in Karis, we've been walking through the book of Matthew for some time, and we'll be there for a while, but today we're going to jump to the end to remind us where this whole gospel book goes, and at the same time, remind us of our vision here as a church, as Karis. As we do, I want to address those objections. Can we obey these words of Jesus here in our crazy, busy lives? Um, What about in this wild, hostile world? Really, can we? Not just in theory, but in real life. Let's walk through this passage together, talk about what Jesus is even asking us to do, and then spend some time looking at practical ways that we can seek to actually live it out. So let's jump in. Here's the way we express our vision here in Karis. By God's grace and for his glory, we want to see the multiplication of disciples, leaders, missional communities, and churches in our city and to the ends of the earth. By God's grace, for his glory, we want to see the multiplication of disciples, leaders, missional communities, and churches in our city and to the ends of the earth. So yeah, we want to see churches planted in places like Brazil. We've gotten to see God do that literally around the world. We want to see our missional communities, our MCs, 
our small groups multiplied all over the city. We've seen that. We want to see more of that. We want to see leaders raised up and sent out to do both those things. But it all starts, doesn't it, with the multiplication of disciples. And we get that from these verses here that we just read. So let's start with what Jesus tells his disciples to do. And then we'll get to how he tells them to do it. So first, what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? Verse 19, to go and make disciples. He says, go right there from where they are and out into the world, he says, of all nations, right? Go out and seek out followers, learners of Jesus. That's what the word disciple means. So in those days, disciples would gather around and they would follow around a rabbi and they would spend time with him, they'd learn his ways and Jesus says, go out, seek out those followers, learners of me that want to come along and learn what it means to follow. And that's what these disciples did amidst a lot of persecution. The Lord used those original disciples to multiply into millions and their, their mission became this movement, a movement that's still going forward today, and Christ's calling us to join in on this. It's meant also for us. Well, what else does Jesus say to do? Go make disciples and what? Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They're to go out and call people into the way of Jesus through this initial ceremony of commitment, baptism. To identify with Jesus in baptism, to demonstrate to themselves, to those around them, even to the Lord, their death to their old ways and their new life in him as they come out of the waters. To proclaim that their sins have been washed away by him, what baptism also represents, and that they would follow him, the Lord Jesus Christ, all their days. So, This is the biblical way we come to Jesus, that we express our faith in him. It doesn't save us, but it proclaims that we've experienced salvation by being immersed in water, what Jesus here calls baptism. And this sacrament of the church is handed down to us for us to call people towards the waters of baptism. What's the other thing the Lord says here? In verse 20, he adds, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Once again, disciples are learners, they're followers, they follow their leader. They soak up all that he says. They try to live just like him. Jesus says, disciples, go teach these people what I've taught you. Tell them to put it into practice. Hear me, if you've been to Karis for a minute or more, you'd know that we repeat over and over and over again that we can never, ever prove ourselves to God. We're saved by his grace, by Christ's works alone, period. But that doesn't mean that we don't, we're not called to obey because that's what disciples do. They follow their teacher. But we don't do what he asks to work ourselves into his good grace. His good and glorious grace moves us to delight in what he asks Yeah, we're talking about the teaching that we've seen here in Matthew. The pinnacle, of course, the Sermon on the Mount that we saw. But as Jesus is the word of God, because he's behind all the scripture that we have, it includes all those other words as well. So if you started the field guide and and you read Proverbs today, that's the word of Jesus as well that we're called to submit to. Jesus says, go out, baptize people, teach them to do all that I've said 
And church, that's our calling too, right? To teach his ways, to call people to follow, to go make disciples, to baptize and to teach. This is what Jesus asked them. It's what Jesus asks us. It's our mission as a church, a mission of multiplication. Second though, how does he tell them they'll do it? Well, the answer is found in the two verses, the brackets around those words we've just seen. And we learn this. Jesus promises his power and his presence. Look at verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then the Lord says, therefore, because of that, with that in mind, go and make disciples. Wow, do you catch what that means? He's the one that has full, absolute authority here on earth, even in heaven. So we've, as we've been going through Matthew, we've seen Jesus' authority over sickness, over demons, over a number of things. It almost seems like Jesus is saying here, now, even after the resurrection, it's even more comprehensive. He's the king of it all. He has all might, all control, and that's meant to give the disciples hope and us as well. I don't think I can put it better than William Hendrickson once did when he writes, why does Jesus make known this claim? Answer, so that when, we now, when he now commissions his apostles to proclaim the gospel throughout the world, they may know that moment by moment, day by day, they can lean on him. Not only this, but these apostles and those that follow afterward must demand that everyone in every sphere of life shall joyfully acknowledge Jesus as Lord of lords and King of kings. So we go out, proclaim him as Lord, but we're confident that the Lord is behind us, with us, empowering us. Jesus says, go in my power. And that's what he tells us as we take up this mantle of multiplication. But he also tells us something else. He promises also his presence, right? What more comforting words do we see in the Bible than these? And behold, I'm with you always, to the end of the age, verse 20. He's with us, right? Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus says he would be God with them, and that's God with us too. As we, as they did, go out and make disciples, and we do it amidst opposition, we have this assurance we're not alone. What a promise, right? No matter how it may feel, no matter what they may say, he is with us. So that's what Jesus tells us to do. Go make disciples, baptize, and teach. And this is how he says it will come to pass through his power, through his presence. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but if you looked around here at all as you came in today, there are a lot of babies around here right now, right? So urgent shout out for help in the kids' room, right? One command we've clearly been obeying and doing quite well with, I'd say, is the one back in Genesis to be fruitful and multiply, right? Good job. Now, silliness aside, can you not hear those words echoing here at the end of this gospel? Going out as representatives of our God into the world, multiplying followers of him. As Chris Watkin writes, Adam and Eve made in God's image, are to make more images. Jesus' followers, having been made disciples, are to make more 
disciples. So these words at the very end of Matthew are the fulfillment of those way, way back in the beginning. And they point ahead to the very last pages of our Bibles as well, to the new heavens and new earth, where disciples from every nation is going to gather worshiping the Lamb. Why? Um, How? Because his people, through his power, in his presence, will go and make disciples. So we're to bear spiritual children, to be fruitful and multiply for him. That's meant to be our legacy. So this is what the church, again, these verses, it's what we've seemingly forever called, since there's been an English translation, um, the Great Commission, right? You've heard that. The Great Commission to go make disciples in real life. Now, if, you're, if you spent uh, any time in the church, you've probably been taught this quite, I would say, unhelpful idea. So there's evangelism, there's discipleship. Evangelism, discipleship. You convince someone to be a Christian, evangelism, and then you try to help them grow in their faith, discipleship. Jesus doesn't seem to make any such distinction. In fact, he's talking about making disciples. He's saying, go make those, baptize and teach. Discipleship runs, I would argue, from before people even believe when we're telling them about Christ, before they're born again, and then it goes on until we die when we wake up in his presence and live with him forever in a new world. Although it'll change form, for sure, when when sin and death are no more, you might even argue that this goes on into eternity as we learn and rejoice more and more in our king. Something to think about, at least. I love this explanation from author Jeff Vanderstelt of who we're meant to be and along with who we're meant to seek out for Jesus. He writes, this is what discipleship is all about. It's the ongoing process of submitting all of life to Jesus and seeing him saturate your entire life and world with his presence and power. It's a process of daily growing in your awareness of your need for him in the everyday stuff of life. It is walking with Jesus, being filled with Jesus, and being led by Jesus in every place and in every way. Now, if you've grown up in Sunday school, you've probably also bought into another idea, that you have clergy, you have pastors, elders, leaders and such, And then you have the laity, lay people, the members of the church, the leaders, they make the disciples, they go and try to find more. The laity, no, that's not what what we do. That's the job of the the clergy, that's the mentality. But this passage here, right, communicates no such thing. The, The baton starts with these 12, really here minus one, uh, and it gets handed off and handed off until it eventually comes to every one of us. It's meant to be carried in all of our callings and in whatever challenges we'll face. So you, the third grade teacher who's scheduled for a surgery at the end of the month, this commission's for you. You, the accounting major whose parents are back home filing for divorce, this commission is for you. You, the brand new parent Fighting to get even an hour of sleep, this calling is yours too. You, the 16-year-old, trying to navigate the locker room or the hallway without getting lost or beat up, these words are for you. Married couple, this is your calling together to make disciples. Empty nesters, this is your job, this is your retirement. Single person, Jesus gives this command to you. 
on that note, I just have to say something about that, given what I said about Genesis 1 before. Again, that command to be fruitful and multiply gets ratcheted up here in Matthew, right? I love this book by Rachel Gilson called Born Again This Way, and she speaks of that command way back in the garden and how it relates to us now, and she's speaking especially to singles. She writes, this is not a machine gun method, aggressively sending our genetic material into the world for the sake of the species. The family, centered on sex-differentiated marriage, is intended to be a bond of love, commitment, and durability, which supports the growth of children. Cut to the sound of a scratched record. This pretty image doesn't match our world, does it? So many of us have an experience of family that is far from this cohesive unity. And many of of us, even if we've grown up in families like this, may end up single through circumstance or choice as adults. Are we then cut out of the only human refuge of joy? She writes, not at all. Because in the New Testament, the Genesis 1 command to be fruitful and multiply gets transposed, not obliterated, by Jesus' call to go and make disciples. Motherhood and fatherhood are imbued with new power and dignity because now they can be spiritual. It's not coincidental that becoming a Christian is called being born again. This spiritual parenthood has distinct advantages. Its offspring cannot be taken away forever by death. It can produce bigger families since it is not limited by biology or resources. And like any great biological parent, spiritual parents can leave a legacy of love. So these words are meant for all of us. And not when things get easier, not when your schedule clears up, and all of our callings throughout all of our challenges. In fact, in those challenges, the gospel message, it even carries more weight as we continue to call him king and find our identity in him during pain. This is our calling, his command to go and make disciples in real life. Now, as we do, it's also a calling to remember that the real work is prayer. So family of God, the pressure's off. It is. That's because we go in his power, we go in his presence. For that reason, prayer's not something that we just tack on or something that we can go without. No, as Oswald Chambers once said, prayer does not fit us for the greater works, Prayer is the greater work. It's what we do if we realize that we're not enough, that we desperately need him, we're compelled to pray. We could read these words and think, Jesus taught them what to do, they went and did what he said, now they hand the the torch to us, and now we just need to get her done. But that misses the point completely, and that's something that will crush us. Listen to to Vanderstelt again. Our job is not to be Jesus. Our job is to believe Jesus, depend on Jesus, and submit to Jesus, working in and through us to accomplish his work. We are not meant to carry the weight of the world or the mission of Jesus on our shoulders. Jesus came to seek and save. He doesn't expect us to become the saviors. Jesus isn't giving us here one of those memes that you've seen that says, you've got this. Are you go girl? No, we've not got this at all. But he does by his spirit, by his strength, we can go and make disciples. We can. Yes, we're to obey, but just as critically, 
we have to pray. Jesus is ruling over the earth again. He is with us today by his spirit, and he wants to spread his kingdom through us, but we can only do it through his power, and what goes with it is prayer. This week, I, I shared some Japanese food with an old friend. He, like me, has been there a number of times. He loves it there. We're sharing some food and catching up, and Jesus has clearly gotten a hold of this man. He's doing a work in his life. And my friend was telling me, through tears, about worshiping some in the temples there in Japan, and he was deeply grieved by that fact. His conscience was really, really rocked by that. And he's asking questions like, can God forgive me for those things? And how can I ever make atonement for that? And I got to remind him of the gospel and how Jesus has made atonement for us and how you can see his, his, his work in his life, this life because of those tears. And he also goes on and he shares his deep love for his, his best friend in Japan, others he had met, and his just deep distress, visible distress with how resistant they were to the gospel. And his question, can they ever possibly be reached? And he shared this wild story. He was in the temple there in Japan, and while he goes there and he's identifying as a Christian, he's really wrestling with the way believers are acting here back in the States, something I can relate to. And he's in this phase where he's seeking truth in other faiths. Maybe you've been there too. And he's there, he's praying in this temple, and there he's asking the founder of Buddhism there in Japan, this monk named Kobo Daishi, to help him understand. He's praying to him, and then he turns, and he is knocked on his butt in no way like ever before. He just turns around and just slams on the ground. So at first, he's, he's freaked out, and he's wondering, you know, did I offend that monk, or maybe has a demon lashed out at me, you know, toppling him there in the shrine? But as we're talking, I told him, maybe it's maybe more likely that the Lord was at work there, knocking him down, waking him up. Interestingly, he's there on this bike trip. So he's taking this pilgrimage all over Japan, seeing all the shrines, and nothing, nothing seems to go right. His bike keeps breaking down. The rains keep pouring down. The trip was an absolute nightmare. And he ends up the trip with this permanent shoulder injury from pushing the bike up all of those terrible hills that are there. My friend, again, is lamenting his fear that his friends would never be reached, that they would never receive the gospel. And I said to him, hey, that God that can knock you on your butt, that can mess up that pilgrimage you were on, he can handle them, right? He can raise the dead. And that has to be your hope, and that has to be ours. That's what we have to remember. Our hope, our only hope in living out this mission that Jesus gives us here is that he'll be at work, that he'll be at our side and if we believe that, we'll be compelled to pray. So, Karis, we're to make disciples in real life. We're to remember that the real work is prayer. The calling is to go into the world, and that starts right here in Columbia, just like it was Jerusalem back in the day. So, leaning into him, let's get at it. But, you might say that it still seems overwhelming, and you're not quite sure where to even start. What I want to do now is to think about an approach, about a way we can get our heads 
and hearts around what Jesus here is calling us to do. Discipleship, again, takes a lifetime, but it always has its start, right? If we want people to trust Christ, if we want people to be baptized and spend their their lives learning from him alongside us, we have to do something. We have to start somewhere. What I'm going to show you now isn't a a program. It's not a to-do list. That's for sure. They're not so much as steps as things to keep in mind. They don't necessarily go in a linear kind of order. There is, I think, a logical kind of flow. But how can we begin having conversations? How can we even take some baby steps together to reach our neighbors and friends to make disciples? So take with me a look look at the screen here. Um, The first thing, go. Okay, so we go out into the places he's positioned us, in our city, our work, our classroom, the coffee shop, the gym, and we ask him to work. So we just go faithfully. Second, look. We look as we go. We're praying for the eyes of Jesus. We're looking at the harvest, believing there is one. We're looking even into the margins where Jesus goes, and we do all that with hope and what he'll do. Third, ask. We ask God for opportunities. And we start asking people questions. We try to get to know them, to hear their stories, even ask them what they believe, but we're building relationships. Fourth, listen. Are Christians known for that? Uh, Well, we should be. We take a genuine interest in their answers. We seek to learn from them their, their stories and themes from those stories. We seek to learn where they place their hope. We ask God to help us learn, to help us love. Fifth, share. We pray that God will open up doors for us to speak. And when we get opportunities, and and we often will, that we would share what Christ has done in our lives as well as what he's doing in the world, we pray that we can share the gospel. Sixth, serve. We don't just love in word, but in deed. We try to meet needs. Spiritual ones, yeah, but physical ones too. As we try to share Jesus, we're praying that we get to show him as well. Seventh answer, as we build these relationships, we'll no doubt get questions ourselves and we'll pray that we'll be ready to answer, sharing what the gospel truly is, addressing objections that they bring to us. Eighth, inquire. As we talk with others about Jesus, we can respectfully ask our questions too. What are the reasons for what they believe? How did they come to those conclusions? The thing that they're struggling with about Christianity, well, how do they deal with it from their view? And we want to get past just talking about the, talking to the head and get to the heart and just ask questions like, where are they relying on their hope? Where have they placed their trust? We pray that God will open doors for that. And ninth, welcome. Trusting in Christ, asking him to work, we invite people into our lives and into our homes. We show them hospitality. We introduce them to biblical community where they can witness the love that Christ brings and where others, our friends, our family can speak into their lives. So we welcome them as Christ has welcomed us. So go, look, ask, listen, share, serve, answer, inquire, and welcome. They may not always go in that order. You know, we want to welcome someone in as soon as we can. We want to share the gospel as soon as God permits, but let's go seek to make disciples in real life and pray that God will work. Okay, so those are some thoughts about how we can do this. 
Let's think for a second about what this all might say to us. So here's a a typical week for me, and, and try not to snicker, but I'm checking powermazoo.com more times than I'd like to admit, and I'm getting excited about the season ahead. I'm talking to Aaron about the team. I'm, I'm feeding him nuggets and news that he may have missed. I'm playing my guitar, trying to learn new skills. I'm watching videos about gear. I'm reading articles about music. I'm talking to Tyler and others about what I've learned and things they need to check out. I'm also reading books pretty much all the time. I'm learning new ones that have come out or old ones that I need to add to my list. I'm talking to friends about what I'm reading, about books that they absolutely have to read for themselves. That's what happens in a typical week for me, and those are just three of the things I'm pretty excited about. And all of this, of course, is happening around my calling as a pastor and as a husband and as a dad, and amidst all the challenges of life. So what's that saying? Well, yeah, I definitely do have the time. And I think we all do. Here's something else that you hopefully just grasped. You do have an idea of what to do. No, it's definitely not easy, but it's really not that complicated, right? We're getting to know people. We're looking for opportunities. We're praying and seeing what God does. I didn't give you the definitive approach to discipleship, but it's an approach that can be done in the midst of real life. That is if you and I really want to, okay? So as we continue to go through Matthew, this is a mission that, that we're going to see until we finish up these words that we've, oh, actually, I skipped a whole page here. Rewind, wow, that's the, the weakness of the iPad here. Okay, so back to this idea, do we really want to? The, the real issue is not, can we do this? It's, do we want to do this, right? So think with me about what I've described. Following my team, learning about instruments, thinking about books, spending time and money on all those things. What's happening there? It's discipleship. I'm being discipled by those articles and videos and books, Right? And I'm making disciples as I talk about those things I love with those around me. I'm discipling and I'm being discipled. You could list your your own hobbies. You have your own passions. Maybe it's gardening or fishing, cooking, running, sewing, carpentry, whatever it is. And none of those things are bad. And I would argue they're gifts from God. But the problem is, is that they can supplant the one we were made for the one we've been redeemed by, the mission that he gives to us, and we end up being discipled and making disciples out of those things that may be good, but they're not ultimately the best things. And then we end up with no desire to spread his kingdom at all. So it may not really be about our time or truly our ability, but it may be so much just about our desire. So what we need, Karis, are renewed hearts, right? Hearts that love the king, that love his kingdom. And those are going to come as we listen to him and his word together, and as we talk to him again together in response to his word, prayer, right? We've been talking about prayer, but it all starts, it all has to start with us praying for ourselves. Because if we admit it, we so often don't want to do what he says at all. So now, We're going to keep going through Matthew, and this is the the mission we're going to see. We're going to get to it again. 
We'll finish up with these words, but what's right before these words, before Jesus is raised, of course, his walk to the cross. So Jesus gets nailed to those planks of wood. He's punished in the place of us, of those who don't live up to these words at all, who make excuses, who, yeah, we care only for ourselves and we try to protect ourselves in fear. He died in our place so that we could have life and that we would also be so moved by this hope he gives that we couldn't help but to get off our faces, brush the dirt off of ourselves and speak of this love we found. That's the hope for the disobedient, for the non-missional. And it's also this massive motivation toward multiplication, his glorious gospel of grace. So beginning this fall, we're going to walk through each of those points that I went through quickly in our missional communities, our, our MCs. So make sure you sign up with one of those. We'll pray that God will work around us and use us to make disciples, fueled by prayer, but also that we'll just have a joy that's erupting from our hearts, something that can't be contained. Because, church, don't we have something that's just so, so good? Something that's just too good not to be shared. Here's what I'm, I'm weary of, friends. There's this game that we can play in church, especially in America, where we're okay, largely, with not living this out. And we just sit here and we wait for other Christians to walk in. You know, Christians that moved from out of town or, or come disgruntled from another church. I don't want that. I want to seek his kingdom first. I want to see glimpses of what we see in the book of Acts. I want, us to, I want to see us reach people with the gospel. I want to invest in a mission that brings true and lasting joy. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, um, we, we just pray, Lord, that as we sang, um, you would dissolve our, our frozen hearts. Even if we're not there today, we thank you that, but we so often are. Um, we want you to thaw those out, um, to make those zealous, passionate for you, for your kingdom. And Lord, um, we ask that you would just help us sort through um, the ways that we're being discipled and we're discipling, um, the ways that maybe we're in a healthy way, too much on social media or, or other things that are just forming hearts that, that resist this, this calling, Lord. We pray that you would change us we beg you to change us, and, and we pray, Lord, that we would just recognize that and just lean in and just be so thankful that you love us so much, that you sent us your son. We don't have to wallow in guilt. Um, we can um, rejoice in this gospel that we're trying to share, that it's for us too. Um, work in us, we pray. In the name of your son, amen.